Welcome to WDTNN's podcast, Workforce Development Technology News Network. Your host, Dustin Swain, Burns Phillips, and Dr. Clay Phillips. Hey, welcome back, listeners. Today, we're going to be talking about, is the skills gap real? Is it a farce or is it real? And here today, we've got uh, Burns Phillips, Dr. Clay Phillips, and myself, Dustin Swain, here to discuss that. So, uh, guys, what do you guys think? Think this uh, skills gap that we keep hearing about, is it real? Well, I think the skills gap is real. There's too, there's too much literature, too many studies that point out that businesses today, today are having trouble filling their workforce with individuals that have the skill sets they need. And I think that's because the skills gap or the, or the need of skills, the skills levels that are needed is constantly changing because of the rapid uh, advance of technology. Mm. Because when a business adopts a new technology, unlike in the past, when, when a business adopts a new technology today, it has an immediate impact on the demand for skill sets, unlike in the last century. And so the individuals that are with that organization at that particular point in time may, with that company adopting a new technology, not be as valuable to that organization as they were the day before because they their skill sets are not uh, in sync with that particular technology that has been adapted adopted by the company so it's going to always be changing the skills gap and the skills that are needed it's it's a moving target and and probably always will be but let, let me ask you on that because I mean what all right so that, that presupposes though that all the companies out there are making some kind of technological change right? But what about the ones who are not? I mean, where's their skills gap? Well, the ones that are not uh, are not going to have to worry too much about a skills gap in the next four or five years because their competitors are going to beat them out. Mm. You know, only about 66% of U.S. employers of $100 million and higher uh, see that upskilling is an important part of their business going forward only 66 percent that leaves an awful lot of businesses that don't see that as important and they're they're going to be the ones who suffer as technology advances you know by contrast in europe 92 percent of the businesses there of 100 billion dollars and up see upskilling and making sure that they have a workforce with the proper skills as important to their future, which I think is an interesting statistic. Yeah, I mean, that's that's compelling, obviously. And, and you know, you hear businesses all the time say, we can't find workers. And, uh, you know, you've got the constant change where you've got people retiring. So you've got the existing workforce and you have the emerging workforce. And those, uh, those you know, two sometimes don't go so well together. But, <clears throat> you know, when you focus on these businesses who say they can't, who they can't find workers. I mean, you look at the ones who aren't making any technological changes. You know, they're suffering, right? They're saying they can't find people. And then you see the ones who are making technological changes, and they can't find them. So the difference between the two is what? I think the difference is that it's imperative today that businesses of all sorts embrace digital transformation. Because that's what's happening every day. That's what's changing the very world in which we live, work, and play. And businesses that are maintaining the status quo, well, I've got a little business here. It's a good business. Uh, I've got employees that that I can rely on. They're going to find themselves left behind over the next few years because other businesses that do embrace technology will take their business away from them. So whether they have a skills gap or not, at that point in time, doesn't really matter. But the skills gap that the companies that embrace technology will have is significant. Because if they're embracing technology, the skills that are needed are changing very rapidly with the adoption of technology. And it will be a constant process because technology improves continually Job skills required are going to change continually. So the need is for 
businesses to be in a position to upskill their own employees. And that's something that most employers today are not prepared to do. Many are starting to move in that direction. And the ones that are most uh, situated to do that are the ones that are the largest companies. But that leaves millions and millions of businesses that are not in a position to do that and must look to outside sources such as education and workforce programs. Well, I think that's a, a for me anyway, maybe our other uh, listeners is that if we can rewind just a second and, uh, I, you know, to get a definition of skills gap, you know, what, what are we talking about specifically? And I know we know, but I want to make sure our listeners understand that uh, the skills gap we're talking about is organizations that don't have people with the adequate skills and or talent to perform the functions that they need uh, in today's marketplace and today's workplace. Uh, next is to define what we mean when we say, is the skills gap real? So to define the word real. Hmm. For me, uh, skills gap is pretty much what I just said. And I'd like to know from both of you, uh, particularly from your most recent roles in the Department of Labor and Workforce Development, because I know you guys every day, every minute of every day of your life uh, was data driven. Uh, so to me, the skills gap is is just that, is, is how I see it. And I'm not saying that I'm right, but is that the organization today, do they have the talent? Do they have the trained, experienced talent on board to perform the the functions and the duties that they need for their organization to remain competitive and sustainable to me well i was just going to say and i'll wrap that part up is 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 there's that that's that's what we're talking about Mm -hmm. and secondly is when we say is it real and uh there's a lot of to me a lot of different definitions of real and uh one in particular i think that fits this case is i would say is a is a building real? You know, is the Sears Tower in, is in Chicago, is that real? Well, of course it's real, right? But then there's a, the, the inorganic and the organic versions of real, right? In other words, it was, did one happen naturally or was it manufactured? Yeah. And I think Burns, to your point is, and Dustin, yours as well, is that the organizations that are electing they are, and whether they want to admit it or not, they are choosing to remain in this this mode of status quo. You know, we're we're just going to keep doing what we've always done because it works or it works well enough. To me, that is a man-made skills gap. That is a choice that those organizations have made and are making. the The organic skills gap, I think, is is what's really real organically real and that is as technology advances we need to learn new things yeah so on the other side of that where it's the inorganic or the the sears tower the organizations the status quo organizations to me are saying oh we we know enough there's you know there's nothing more that we need to learn we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing so that's kind of what I would ask you guys maybe to throw in here is what what are you talking about when you say skills gap and what's real versus a farce? Well, <clears throat> if I, I'll jump in just real quick here, but to me, to, to identify the skills gap, you have to have the information to support one. And I think there are a lot of critical elements within that. You've got Bureau and Labor Statistics that gives you supply and demand figures. You look at those and you hear what the businesses are out there saying, and you try to draw inferences from that. In addition to that, you've got to look at what is existing out there as far as the workforce, and that's primarily where the supply and demand comes from, uh, those figures. And then you got to look at the emerging workforce. And those are all inputs into that equation. And so as you look at um, the existing workforce, and you, you hear companies talk about not being able to fulfill those roles because they lack the skills necessary to perform their functions, you have to look at, okay, well, what are they doing to, to move those you know, existing people in their companies up? And are they making room for that pipeline to come in? 
that that emerging workforce from, let's say, education, right? They're the ones that are training those individuals for tomorrow's jobs. And so as you as you peel that layer back, you have to see, okay, the new jobs that are being formed out there, the new skills that are being required, are the elements there for education to rapidly change to address those, right? Are they providing the skills necessary for those employers? And I'll give you a good example, just kind of to throw this out there, is that, you know, when uh, companies are looking to move their headquarters or move their businesses, they look at states and they get thrown all these incentive packages and things out there. And then, you know, they either come to the state or they don't. But when they land, there's a specific amount of time between when they break ground and when they go to open whatever their business is. And it's in that time element that you have to look at what are the inputs for that workforce to determine if there's a skills gap. And primarily, you got to look at, okay, what is this job that there are functions that they're going to be having in this company? And you got to look at, okay, does the existing workforce in that state support that new business? Or are we going to have to look to education to provide that through the pipeline that's coming out? And then you have to look at the fact, is it going to happen fast enough? right? How quickly can they uh, make programs or training modules, if you will, for those people who are coming out of school to fill those jobs? And I think that's the critical components from my viewpoint that you have to have those data elements together to determine whether or not there is a real, in real time, a skills gap, or is it a skills gap for the future, or are we feeling that right now? Well, everything that I read doesn't from it, the employer's point of view, is that there is a skills gap now. Now, there are many people that would argue that there's not because of the low unemployment rate. But you have to look at the type of jobs that are there now, uh, the, the tasks that are required, the pay that is given for these jobs. Are they jobs that are being filled by people who have four-year degrees that used to be filled by individuals who had high school diplomas? Mm. So you may, businesses may have bodies, but they may not have the skills they need. And they must be, must, will have to consider upskill, having programs to upskill their own employees if they're, if they're going to have the individuals with the skills they need. You know, a, a very recent World Economic Forum study came out in December, this past December said that 54% of all employees, that's all employees, and this is the World Economic Forum, will require significant upscaling, upskilling from, and those, those could be anywhere from six months to 12 months of training, really on the job, if you will, to be able to keep up with technology. So, and that goes to your point, if somebody is, is in a training program, hmm. Now, for a business that hasn't opened yet, but is going to open two years from now, will those skill sets that they're learning now apply to the, the needs of that business when it opens two years from now? That's a very real consideration or in terms of training and education, whether we're, we're helping to eliminate a skills gap by training for future needs. Because if we're just paying, if, if education workforce and businesses themselves are just looking at today, the current trends and meeting today's needs, which they have to, but if that's all they're looking at, it's going to be, uh, that's short-sighted what's going to be needed in the very near future. Because if, if 35, excuse me, if 54% of jobs are going, of em employees are going to need reskilling by 2022, 2022, this is 2019. Yeah. That's how rapidly things are changing. So where are those discussions happening? I mean, where, you know, when a company moves here, where are those discussions on a real-time basis happening with education to, to adjust? And, and well, workforce training partners? Well, I, th I think it depends on what, what state you're in. Right. Of course, those conversations, historically, businesses would come to a state, and the first thing they would ask for were incentives uh, of a financial nature, mm -hmm. some sort of tax breaks or things of that nature. Today, the first thing that businesses ask about uh, is the quality and availability of your workforce. 
And Tennessee has done a pretty good job of that over the last number of years, and other states are, are, are trying hard to do that. But you and I were in a position to see that there was a disconnect between traditional education uh, and the needs of the workforce. Yeah. And I don't think that that has changed any. Well, you know, I, I see it as a mentality of build it and they will come, right? It's, it's some, right. some points of that. Some, sometimes that feels like that happens, right? Because they they're moving so fast to get that new business here to land thousands of new jobs. And, you know, it's a really good thing for an economic boost. But it's, it's not a good thing for that company necessarily if long-term you can't supply that workforce over time and address the changes that they're going to have also with their technological changes. Well, that, that's correct. But you know, I'm not as concerned about businesses being able to find the skilled employees that they need. I think there's a skills gap, but I think that businesses have come to grips with the fact that they have to take a lot of it into their own hands now. Yeah. And they will ultimately find those individuals that they need with the skill sets that they need, even if there is a, is a lag. My concern is more toward the employee base, the workforce, whether or not they are going to even have the opportunity and the capability of finding, upskilling, new training programs, educational opportunities, that will keep them current with the skill sets needed in business and industry because the people who need the most upskilling now are the people who are 30, 35, 40, and 45 year olds. It's not the young people coming out of school, although there's much literature about how in, uh, inadequate their preparation is in terms of having the skills that are needed. But those, those millions of people who are currently working but are faced with obsolescence in terms of uh, the impact of technology, those are the ones that I'm most concerned about because they will, they will personally have a skills gap. And the implications of that long-term are far more significant than the fact that a business who has embraced technology uh, has a small lag time in, in getting the individuals they need to meet their uh, skills need. So I think there's really two sides of the coin here. Yeah, that being between the, the existing or the workforce, right? And then also the business's need. That's correct. Because the technology does, in fact, create jobs. But the question is, will technology, as it advances, will it create a number of jobs to replace the jobs that it does away with? Or I should say, will it create enough jobs that demand the task that um, that are uh, that are, are not no longer needed in the workforce. In other words, if the workforce has a certain degree of skills that has maintained their life for 10, 20, 30 years, when their job is maybe not done away with, but transformed. In other words, the number of tasks that they do in their job are done away with, then they are not going to be as valuable to that organization as they were before. They may still have a job, but the job may not be what it used to be, it may not pay what it used to be, used to pay. And I think that's a real consideration going forward is, you know, what, what type of jobs will those people have? Will they be equal to what was destroyed because so many new jobs that are being created are skills biased and they're not being created in the quantities that replace those being done away with. And we're talking about white collar as well as blue collar jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can tell you guys that the some of the conversations I've I've had uh, with uh, leadership uh, decision makers in, with respect to this topic uh, itself is that you know they're experiencing so much uncertainty as to you know what to do to get prepared, and you know what I'm telling them is you know this is I, I I tell them I don't want you to see this as a moving target because this suggests that you don't know where the target is. And uh, we do know where the target is, right? And the the target is uh, the organization's decision of whether or not they are going to be, become, or remain agile with respect 
to the skills gap that's being driven by the advances in technology, right? The status quo organizations, you know, you guys know me, I'll just say it how it is. Their days are numbered. Uh, status quo is a killer. Uh, it's, it's the grim reaper and, it, and, and it's out there. And the, the companies that are stuck in status quo, they're stagnant. Okay. So I just tell the organizations that are, that I'm talking with that are interested, they want to maintain and develop their, their agility and their sustainability is, you know, just get on the transformation train. Uh, that's the first thing you have to do is decide that you're going to accept this momentum that is happening. You don't have a choice. You're either going to get on this transformation train or you're going to get left behind. And it's not coming back for you. It doesn't do that. Uh, it's, it's a one-way shot. So if we can first have that mindset within an organization, the next thing I think is to uh, realize that the, the, the most highly technological positions within organizations are the ones that are being affected immediately, not necessarily the most, but immediately. Uh, things are getting easier. They're getting more user-friendly. Well, that's fine, but if you don't know where the power switch is, then none of that matters, right? Mm. Uh, so that, that's been my encouragement for the folks I'm talking with. And, and Burns, like you said, I mean, I, I care about them, but you know, I can't care more about them than they care about themselves. And, and now is the time to transform. Uh, we say digitally, and digital transformation means a lot of different things. Uh, we know it's, it's a three-legged stool. It's not one thing within the organization. There's three parts of the organization that must be transformed digitally, meaning getting with the times and adopting and adapting current technology. So what's next after we, we, we decide we're going to get on the train and we're going to start uh, assessing our organizations for the opportunities to uh, begin or enhance the transformation and figure out how we're going to do it and make sure that we've got every single employee on board. And that requires learning. And, and uh, you know, changes and transformation do not occur until and unless learning occurs. And I, you know, I'm not speaking for you guys, but it sounds like that's essentially what we're agreeing on. Yeah, Clay, I think to that point, when you when you look at those uh, businesses that are uh, making those transformations or not, and then, you know, talking about their skills gaps and whether or not they have one, I think you have to look at, uh, do they have the information necessary, right? Did, are they, do they have systems in place to, to know who their customers are? And that, I'm not saying just necessarily external customers. I'm talking about their internal customers. What are the right. needs of their management teams for the skills? Are they getting the employees that they need? And you have to have mechanisms in place to, to capture that information so that you can have a good discussion with those inputs, right, which are education in your training pipeline uh, to make sure that you're addressing those changes as needed. So, you know, when you've got that new technological piece that's coming in, great. So, how are we going to make sure that we have the skill sets necessary for that? Well, that has to be an assessment. That has to be, what are the skill sets needed? Do we have those in our existing workforce? Can we leverage some of the people that we currently have? Or is that something we're going to have to go out and find? And if right. it do is... We, do we already have the skills or the people that we can upskill? Or do we go out and try to find it? And then where do we look? Right. Where, where does that happen? Right. And so, mm -hmm. um, and are the classes even... Uh, you know, out there to take, you know, that's how fast technology is changing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think it's vitally important when we talk about digital transformation and some of those other components of that, that, the you know, the, the recipe for leadership, business process change and culture creation, we have to look at, does those businesses have the information that they need to even make that assertion? Right. Do, do they have the information at hand to say we truly have a skills gap or is it more of, well, we need 500 people and we've only got 300. So right. there's, there must be a skills gap. Well, no, you have to check yourself first. You have to see, are your processes as efficient as they should be? And then you have to go back and say, okay, 
if they're not, then we got to change some processes. And then what is that going to take? And then where do we go from there? Those are the type of discussions I, I feel like uh, have to be had. Uh, but it's going to take the necessary data points for them to have those discussions. You can't just, you know, come up with it out of the thin air. Exactly. There's just so much preparation work that has to be done. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, where we're coming from is the, the organization has got to, you know, assess themselves in, uh, you know, a handful of key uh, key areas. Right. Uh, because it's, you know, if you, are, if, if you decide that, you know, hey, let's let's drive to the beach and we don't even talk about it. We just jump up and we get in the car and we go with no preparation. There's no telling where we're going to end up. I know that's that's kind of a simple analogy, mm. but in an organization, simple analogies, you know, serve as, 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 as a good starting point, I believe, but it can't get ahead of the assessment. Right. You know, what are we doing now? How are we doing it? In other words, through this assessment, that's how you identify what your specific skills gaps are but see that's that's i think part of the problem too because you see a lot of these states moving towards you know throwing a lot of grant money right out there and we're trying to build these public private partnerships but what does that public private partnership look like today you know is there one and if there's not one how do you build it and if you you know to 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 the point i was making earlier I think you have to have some of those critical data elements first before you start having those conversations and building those relationships between the public and private space. Well, I think you're exactly right because most businesses today, and even even what Clay's saying, most businesses, they understand that there's a problem, but they don't really know exactly what the alternatives are. Do they focus on hiring new employees that have skills that they need? Do they... uh, automate as many tasks as they can uh, to eliminate uh, the need for employees? Do they choose to retrain the employees that they have? Uh, or do they outsource? You know, fully a third to two-thirds of businesses today are considering outsourcing, going to the gig economy, if you will, to find employees. And that, of course, we know has all kinds of ramifications. But that speaks to the fact that what you had said earlier, no, they really don't know what the best path is. They're not getting the guidance they need, I don't think, from education uh, or from other organizations that work in education and workforce. And so that goes to Clay's uh, comments about they need something, somebody, some organization that helps provide them the information and guidance to create an awareness of what's needed so that they can plan for the future, not only take care of today, but plan for the future as well. I think that's the, I think that's the the situation that we're in now, that, that state of discontinuity in, in the workplace. There are more questions than there are answers. So if you're trying to run a business, you're worrying about your business. You're worrying about the bottom line. And sometimes you don't take the time and energy you need to try to figure out what am I going to need six months from now or a year from now, used to businesses would look down the road for five years, got a five-year plan. Well, you can't even have a six-month plan hardly today right. because of the way things are changing. So you've got to have something that helps. If you're a business person, you've got to have something that helps you identify the actions that you need to take relevant to your existing workforce, relevant to the technologies that are existing and how they will impact your business in the near future. You have to have somebody that can help you understand that. And I don't think businesses really have their arms around all that today. And certainly, I don't think education does, traditional education. Uh, they're trying to get closer to businesses. But to your point, Dustin, I don't, I don't see, see it coming together. Yeah, I, I, think that, I think relationships can be terribly complicated, uh, especially when you try to marry the two between public and private. It's just two totally different worlds. You've got a lot of regulation on one hand where you've got a lot of red tape to cover or the cut, right, on the government side, the public side. And you've got fast-moving organizations on the business side who want to move fast. And sometimes those, those two kind of clash. But I, I think, you know, to help ease that pain in that complicated relationship, you have to have some data to speak from that maybe hasn't always been there right? You've always got these reports and things that are coming out about supply, demand, uh, 
graduation rates. And, you know, sometimes those are mostly self-attested. And then you've got, you know, all these different elements that are out there. But then what, what do you have in real time that is telling you where you need to move today and then tomorrow, right? All that other stuff to me is what has happened in the past. And you're trying to make decisions on where you need to head six months from now. Well, sometimes you got to look backwards to move forward. But I I suggest with the technology that is available out there today, you no longer need to look at the past for your future plans. I really do feel like there are strategies out there, some of which we try to employ, uh, that that can help organizations make that leap, right? And and, and have that real-time data flowing to them. To, to better make decisions. I mean, I don't know how many times we were in meetings where we were getting fed information. It was like, well, we, I think it's this, or I think it's that. And, you know, those were rule, you know, words that I think uh, you outlawed, uh, along with, you know, a few, many, a whole bunch, and stuff like that. You know, we wanted data to make informed decisions. And I think that's vitally important in this discussion about skills gap. Is there one? Well, okay, from what point of reference are you coming from? What data do you have to back that up? And then once you define what those data points are, that has to be centralized in the discussion between the partners and those who are forming the strategies. And until they get to that point, right? That's very true is that, and we know very well that education, traditional education, does not collect data that shows outcome of students. Right. We know that for a fact. Uh, you 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 hear a lot of figures, you see figures, but you never see any data that that supports what they what they're saying they're accomplishing. And that's not that's not because they're they're bad organizations. Maybe they don't have the capability of doing that. I think that's part of the problem. But you do have organizations that are uh, education oriented that are in fact trying to focus on data and collecting data, but it's very new. You know, there's an organization uh, called uh, Learning House, which is uh, now owned by Wiley, but they are very much an online organization, educational organization. And and they talk about the need for data in, in order for they and traditional education to understand what needs to be offered by way of curriculum to, to students. So you have a situation in education where they, they may understand the importance of data, but they really don't know how to get it or don't have the tools they need to get it. And you've got the business community that doesn't really collect the data that it needs in terms of what's happening in their industry that would tell them the direction they need to go. And so they're torn between reskilling the people they have or just trying to reskill the people in their organization that are already highly skilled and not worry about those that are not, or to go outside. To me, it it speaks of a situation where there's a need for someone to help them and education and policymakers understand what's going on in the real world uh, in terms of employment and skills gaps. The question of whether there's a skills gap, I, I think the answer to that is absolutely. And it will it will be there for years and years to come. That's why the system and all the all the players in the system, all the stakeholders in the system, have to be agile enough to respond to the changes in the skills demanded in business and industry over the next next uh, few years. And I don't think anybody's in place to do that right now. Yeah, and, and I mean to your point about data, you know, that the, the learning house wanting data, right? That's vitally important to this. And, I, you know, I, there's a lot of data flowing out there, but is it usable? And is it in a language in which all the partners at the table can understand? And I think that that's going to require almost a sense of a mediation at some, at some point where you've got a neutral third party there who's disinterested, generally speaking, because there's a lot of preconceived notions that come into those meetings and partnerships. There's a lot of things flowing around about, hey, you used to do that and y'all used to do this and you say that, but you don't have that. And all those things that kind of happen. And that makes that relationship even more complicated. But I think you have to go back to the data. The data doesn't lie. You have to have it from, you know, reputable sources. You have to be able to define those and then you also have to have someone there that can navigate that for the group. 
And it's not going to be easy necessarily, but it has to be done because if you go into a room with preconceived notions about something and you don't look at the data, you're going to come out with bad decisions. Well, absolutely. And you combine that with uh, preconceived uh, bias, or not preconceived, but pre-existing biases right. about what should or shouldn't be done. And you combine that with agendas of stakeholders and players in that entire uh, uh, ecosystem. And you're not getting an accurate picture of what needs to be done. So to your point, there needs to be some sort of organization or entity that can help by being completely objective, can gather data and present data because we know that, that data uh, peels back the onion, shows what's really happening, and gives you the information you need upon which to make informed decisions, whether you're a business, whether you're in education, whether you're a policymaker. And that is another area where nobody really, nobody in the business community, or, and certainly in education, and certainly with policymakers, uh, understand and have a, a, a grasp on what needs to be done and how important that data is. But that's going to tell that that tells us all what's going to be happening in the future. Yeah, you know, and I think you even have to go back to to the point of who's and I, you know, keep harping on this, but who's the customer in all this? Right? I mean, is it the policymakers? Is it the businesses? Is it the employees? And I think you have to go back and say, okay, we're going to define, especially within government, if you're going to make a policy about something, you have to consider the customer in this. And I, I feel like the customer at the end of all this is the person with the job, right? Because at right. the end of the day, they've got to have the skills to perform those duties for whatever company that we're talking about. And if you're not hearing their voice in all this, if you're not listening to their pros, their cons, the things that make up their day-to-day -day life, then you're going to develop policy on what some academics think about should be happening within the workforce. And I say that because, you know, you can have a lot of good ideas and you can throw a lot of them out there and you can try them. But unless you're, and, and, and then you don't find out until, you know, two or three days or two, three years later, whether or not that was a good policy decision or not. And it takes so long to, to, to measure that. But if you look at real-time data, and I'm talking about customers here, and it's not difficult to get up and going on that, but if you look at the, what your customers are saying, whether it be employees, whether it be people who are buying products from you, or whatever, if you listen to them, they will tell you exactly what is missing. And I feel like that, that voice has never been in this conversation. It's been policymakers. It's been partners in the, in the relationship, and now it's going to be public and private partnerships moving forward. But, you know, the customer in this is not always the business. Well, that's right. And that's why I was mentioning that one of my main concerns is long-term is not necessarily the business. Right. Uh, because businesses are, that, that are aware and who embrace technology, they're going to survive, and they're going to get the people that they need. Somehow they're going to get those people. And they're going to need people that are highly skilled, but they're not going to need as many people that are highly skilled because one of the things most businesses that that appreciate and understand technology are doing today is figuring out how to get employee skill to work with technology. Yeah. Well, technology comes in and technology eliminates jobs or certainly modifies jobs. So if, if you're embracing technology as a business, you will reduce the number of jobs that you uh, need. Well, or at least you're going to reduce the quality of some of them because you're not going to need the same number of tasks in any given job. Yeah, and so, I, yeah, go ahead. But as I say, so to me, we have to figure out how to not only continue to help business be strong, but we have to make sure that our that our that our people have the skills to uh, to maintain an a, a good job, what's considered a good job. But to make sure they have those skills, but but more than that, they have to. People today, to your point, people today have to learn how to learn because they have to be continual learners. They have to be lifetime learners. So it's very important that that the focus really be on the workforce, whether it's 
emerging workforce kids that are in school now or whether it's the mature workforce to your point there hasn't been enough paid to that segment of the mm-hmm. of the uh, players in this the stakeholders and and when you talk about policy policy makers you know if it, if there's any place where there's a lot of bias or a lot of agendas that are other than focused on the people and uh we know that that's the case so unless you've got outside organizations that have the ability to collect information and data and advise that advise based on their objective unbiased and fair evaluations then we've got we've got a serious problem long term yeah and and it's not an easy task but we have to focus not just on the on the employees and on the workforce you're exactly right there but businesses need help too and education needs help well it's all part of that relationship right that's right and mm-hmm. you know i think you know we've we've done a pretty good job of talking about some of the problems and some of the things that go into skills gap analysis um but I think one thing that we can all agree on is that is, is part of the solution here. And we like to offer up solutions. We don't just like to talk about problems on this podcast, but you know, if I could suggest a solution here is that, you know, I think the, the, the partners in this discussion, this partnership going forward, whether it be public, private, edu- you know, including education, look inside in your internal processes. Are you hearing the customer's voice? Each one of those partners has a customer. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. But when you come together in a conversation, it's not that you maybe don't trust the other partner in that conversation. It's it's to have a dialogue about the same data that you've got. So if you know, going forward, if you're having these discussions, whether you're, you know, whatever state you're in or whatever workforce strategy you're trying to develop, I think it's vitally important that you start to consider those other voices who have not been at the table in previous years. And I'm talking about your customer, whether it be the person you're training to take that job, whether it be your employee, or whether it be the customers whom you serve through your business. You got to link all of that up because if you don't, you're going to make decisions about where your company needs to move based on your customer feedback of the products you're selling in the wrong direction. And you're going to train people for the wrong jobs. It all kind of links up. But I would just suggest that as, a, as one solution of many that could go into this discussion. Well, I, I agree with everything that you say. And I think ultimately the burden has to be on the businesses and industries to uh, take this into their own hands to make sure they have the skilled uh, workers that they need. And that means to not only find out to your point, through the collection of data from your customers, what is is needed and what will be needed, but to form alliances with education. And education, of course, has to be open-minded to understand that nobody knows better than the business and industries the situation that they're in today, and they should listen to those individuals, that the businesses and industries are their customer, if you will, because they're providing a pipeline of, of potential employees. So they should be listening to their customer, which are the businesses. And the businesses should be listening to their customers, which are those people that they sell products and services to. So you're exactly right on that. Um, yeah, I think a good example of that is, is it's just, just to show business how, how much it can matter whether or not you're listening to your customer is uh, the Dollar Shave Club example. Right. I mean, yep. they have some great commercials out there, but what they did was they, they looked at the market and said, look, people are tired of buying their razors of having to go through all the security just to get a razor right out off the shelf. You know, like you got to go get a clerk, you got to unlock the shelf, you got to get it. And then you got to be escorted to a checkout station to buy it. And they said, Hey, you know, what if we just started sending these to your home and at a discounted rate, they totally disrupted that market, but it's all because they listened to the customer and their frustrations. And so they made some technological changes in their process. They didn't just start up another razor company, say, hey, we're going to mass produce these, send these out in nice packages and sell them on retail shelves. They said, we're going to do a little bit different. And so that, that formed a whole new business process for them. And then they 
instantly disrupted that market. They got bought out eventually, but you know, that's, that's what happens. But I think in traditional terms, businesses have been able to own that market, whatever they're in, a few of them at least. And they've been able to drive, you know, the decisions. I think now you start to see a culture of it's the people who are your customers are driving those decision decision changes. And if you're not listening to that, you're going to be left behind because there's always that next company, that next startup that's ready to disrupt you. And so you got to, you got to marry all that together. Oh, absolutely. And, and that, that is broader than just the skills gaps question. Right. But they are all tied together. But if you're not paying attention to that, you're going to drive a larger wedge between that skills gap, right? You're going to be training people for the wrong jobs, potentially. And education is going to be training people for jobs that won't exist. Yeah. And so it's like the whole organic, inorganic thing Clay was talking about earlier. So, uh, you know, I think this is a real problem. I, I agree. It's a skills gap. There is one. But it's a largely, I think, mostly man-made. You know, I think it's uh, there's, there's decisions that it could be made out there that would change the direction of the skills gap. I think the information's out there. I just don't think it's digestible by the the people in the discussion. I don't think everybody's talking from the same playbook here. And uh, I think that's the first step. You have to get data that everyone can speak to. It can be reputable, uh, you know, referenced and agreed upon that it is true and accurate. And then you can have a good discussion about it. But I think that's I think that's one of the very first steps. And I would just submit that you, if you haven't considered your customer's voice in any of this, uh, you have to start doing it today. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out that this situation gets, uh, has grown uh, over the last few years because of technology in the last decade. So we're facing a period that we've never really faced before, mm-hmm. which makes it even more important to be for businesses to be, education to be, uh, even policymakers to be more agile in dealing with the reality of the marketplace. Because if they, if to your earlier point too, if you're looking in the past, that's the wrong place to be looking. You need to be looking ahead. And we have heard over the years, you've got to get education, you've got to get business, you've got to get policymakers together on this. And that's that's being preached for years, has it not, Dustin? Absolutely. Do you see? Yeah. Well, and I think it's because they don't really know what to do. Well, you know, yeah. people. To know. Yeah, and I think people have a tendency to not discuss things when they don't know what to discuss, right? I mean, yeah. you know, that, that's just why relationships are complicated. You don't want to take that phone call because it's like, oh, man, what are they going to ask? You know, I don't have the data to, to back me up either way or the other. But you got to, I mean, you just, you just got to start owning it. Um, but, you know, in closing here uh, for this podcast, I think, you know, whether or not the skills gap is real, I think we've answered that. I think it is. Uh, at least from my point of view, uh, Burns, I think you would agree with that. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and I think some of the solutions here, it's not the only solution, but it's one of many that you have to start considering in your uh, uh, advancement of, of your company or your business is that you have to, A, you got you to gotta look at digital transformation. You got to start changing your processes. If you're stuck in the old way, you're going to be left behind by those companies that adopt a digital first solution. And then, okay, if you are going to adopt a digital first solution and, and remain relevant going forward, where are you listening to your customers, whether they be internal and external or external? Uh, and then you've got you to gotta use that data to talk with those partners within your state or region and have a detailed discussion about, okay, here's what we've got. Here's where we're moving. Here's what our customers telling us where we need to move to. So we need to develop these new processes. Oh, which by the way, entails these new skill sets. And can you deliver that by X date? You've got to start having those kind of real time conversations or you're always going to maintain uh, some form of a skills gap. Absolutely. So you got any final thoughts, Burns, before we, we close out today? How about any books? Have you been reading any good books lately? How about skills? <laughs> I, you read tons of books. I don't know how you do it. You got, I mean, you're reading three to my, like, you know, half of one. So. Yeah, I've read, I'm reading one now about the fourth industrial revolution and it's very good. And, uh, another one, the wealth of humans, which is very good. These both talk about, uh, some of the things we're talking about today, but also how it's creating inequality in the, in the, uh, in our, society, uh, which should be a subject matter of a future podcast, as a matter of fact, that 
that despite all the good technology is doing, it's it's creating some uh, inequality issues. And but I, I'd like to close with one thing. Yeah. If, if people don't think that the future is going to be nothing but changes, you have to stop and look at. Well, it's not a book, but a very recent article that came out from McKinsey actually came out this month, talking about the motiva the automation potential of jobs because all this is driven by automation and digitization. And it looked at the entire nation, the 100 metropolitan areas, but in Tennessee, where we are, just to point out the significant, the, the potential impact over the next few years of automation and digitization. It looked at Nashville, Franklin area, Memphis, Chattanooga, uh, also Knoxville, I don't have that right in front of me, but between those three metropolitan areas, 1.863 million jobs are subject to automation in whole or part. Wow. Well, the workforce in Tennessee is only 3.6 million. So you can see the long-term impact of what we're talking about, that things are going to change. They're, uh, they're, the skills gap will always continue. Somehow, we have to all come together to figure out how to be in the moment, but also looking down the road at what's going to be needed. Yeah, that, I think that those numbers are are scary to some, but you know that's when you got to start having these discussions. You got to right. have that dialogue, and I think that's one of the large pieces of what we're trying to do with this podcast is to to make sure that we we hear from individuals and uh, those out there that are concerned about this. If you've got a business or organization that's facing some of these problems or uh, that we've been discussing, we'd love to have your feedback. Uh, we'd love you to join wdtnn.com and. Go on to that site. We actually do have a work, what's called Workforce One Touch, and it's kind of like a Facebook within our website, but it, it allows us to have a discussion, and we'll use that information in our future shows. And, and speaking of future shows, we've got one coming up for you next week, which will be uh, with digital transformation. Culture is everything. So uh, be sure if that, that sparks any interest for you to, to check us out. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on many platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcast. Uh, as well as Google Podcasts. So uh, go to your favorite platform, subscribe to the show. We'd love to hear your feedback. Be sure to drop us a message uh, when you visit WDTNN.com. That's all for today, and thanks for joining. <laughs>